You guys are, uh, man, y'all are friendly this morning. That's good. Um, it's good to be here with you. It's good to be here sharing scriptures with you guys. Um, there's, you know, there's actually, I, I told the elders today, I said, there's probably gonna, I'm going to be preaching to 11 people with so many people out of town. It looks like it's at least 13, so <laughs> I'm kidding. But um, I, I'm really grateful. Once again, I'm just really grateful that God has provided me with this opportunity to share his word with his people and that it can be received through the power of his Holy Spirit. Uh, so if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. We're going to be reading from verse 25 through verse 40. Uh, kids, too, if you have a Bible, turn to, to Acts chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, maybe if you have your phone with you, pull that out and take a look. Uh, folks at home, I want, to, I want to humbly request that you do the same thing. Uh, if you're watching from home, uh, go get a Bible. You know, I, I know that the scriptures are going to be up here on the screen, but there's a great blessing in opening the Word of God for yourself and actually reading it for yourself from your own Bible. So uh, once you're there, here's, here's a few bingo pictures for the kids to find, if any of y'all are still doing that. Um, while we talk for just a minute about the Holy Spirit. Um, last week we spent a lot of time talking about salvation and what salvation looks like in the Christian life. And we talked about uh, how believers can experience assurance of our salvation through the evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And, and, and maybe I should have said this then, and I didn't, um, but the fact is, we can have assurance. The fact that we can have assurance at all is due to the fact that God is good. And because He says that we can. I want you, I want you to think about that, okay? Our hope of salvation is entirely dependent on the character of God and on the promises of God. Okay? It's not on our subjective experience of salvation, just feeling saved. That's, that's not what causes it. Okay? That's not what our hope should be in. It should be in the, the character of God and His promises. Now that said, it is still the evidence of the Spirit's work in our lives that bolsters our assurance, that gives us the confidence that we belong to Christ and, and, and that we are recipients of Christ's promises. So this week... Um, we're, we're going to work from the assumption that most of us listening are truly Christians, okay? That we're, that we're truly uh, born again by the Holy Spirit of God, that, that we're washed in the blood of the Lamb by grace through faith, that we're being sanctified by God's work in us. And so if that's the case, then we, we probably, we've probably already begun reading the Bible to learn how God wants us to live it as His children, and, and hopefully we've been trying to walk in that way as well. So Today we're going to look at another example from Philip's life. He was one of the characters from last week. Uh, this is a really cool story about responding correctly to the Holy Spirit. So before we dive in, can we, can we pray one more time? And, and let's just ask God for clarity and for grace and understanding. Father, I just ask that you'll help me to speak clearly. I pray, like Paul, I just pray that, uh, that you'll help me to speak in a, in a way that it can be understood clearly. I pray that you will work in the hearts of people that they'll have the grace to understand Father, that we'll be able to take this with us and, and that we will respond rightly to your Holy Spirit as a result, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Luke says, Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now, the, the they that he's referring to are probably Peter and John. Because you remember, they were, they were fresh off of their confrontation with Simon Maju, Simon the sorcerer. And after they came down, they laid hands on the Samaritan believers, and they were able to see the Holy Spirit fall on them. 
Uh, and then after that, they, they, they took the scenic route home, right? So they could keep on proclaiming Jesus on the way. And, and just a real quick thing I want to incorporate here. Um, it's not in the bulletin insert, but it's worth your consideration. Anywhere you go, you have the ability to preach the good news. So even if you're on your way home from work and you, you pull over to help someone change a tire, you can tell them about Jesus. It, it doesn't have to be something that you've, you know, that you've expected, you've been planning for, that you're prepared for. If you're listening to the Holy Spirit, I believe you'll be prepared. Amen? If you're listening to the Holy Spirit, you will be prepared. And speaking of listening to the Holy Spirit, um, we're going to read our story about Philip. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. Uh, church, to rightly respond to the Holy Spirit, we must go where the Holy Spirit leads. We must go where the Holy Spirit leads. And now, it, it would totally make sense for you to stop me right there and say, um, Mark, the passage doesn't mention the Holy Spirit at all, right? I mean, in fact, Philip had an actual angel talk to him. It's hardly the same thing. And you know what? That's fair. But... Does anyone remember what the word angel literally means? Messenger, that's right. Do God's angels do things of their own accord? Well, other than that one time, you know, um, and then they stopped being God's angels. But generally speaking, do God's angels do anything of their own accord apart from the will of the Father? No. Okay. So who is the angel speaking on behalf of here? God. And who is the third person of God? The Holy Spirit, right? So, so in this case, the Holy Spirit was speaking to Philip, but he was doing it audibly and through a proxy rather than through uh, an inner voice, the inner leading. And before you start thinking, well, that doesn't apply to us today, I want you to consider how God speaks to us today through reading his word. We talked about that a little bit in Sunday school this morning. Even through other believers, you know, whether, whether it's in the pulpit, whether it's in normal conversation, sometimes the Holy Spirit even, even uses our circumstances sometimes. And we may, not, we may not be given super specific direction in the same way that Philip was, but, but there are times that we might. You know, there, there are places in Paul's letters where he talks about the Spirit of Christ opening a door. Or not even, a, at one point he talks about not being allowed to go to a specific place. By the Holy Spirit, he says, the Spirit of Christ did not allow us. So either way, it's less about where we go as it is about listening to the Holy Spirit and being willing to go as we feel that the Holy Spirit is leading. Okay. And by the way, just as an aside, um, the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit as a he, not an it. Okay. The Holy Spirit is a he. The, the third person of the triune God is truly a person rather than a thing. Anyway, so, so this concept is a good segue into the next verse. Uh, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, it says, and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Okay, so, so in this case, there was apparently... No angel serving as a messenger, but the Holy Spirit himself spoke to Philip. And we're going to come back to that. But I want to explain who this eunuch is. Um, eunuchs, whether, whether naturally occurring or made by, by human hands, as Jesus says, they were often used in the service of queens or in the service of harems because they were considered safe. Okay? So this man was a Cushite. He was a native of Ethiopia. And he worked 
as the treasurer for the queen, but he had also apparently come to know of Yahweh at some point, which is really interesting to me. Uh, I read about people like this eunuch and, and like the queen of Sheba, you know, people who are outside of the normal Israelite community, but they, but they come to an awareness of the one true God by exposure to God's people, right? They come into contact with the Jews and they hear about Yahweh, and I wonder how many of them might have believed as a result of these, these interactions with God's people, even though they didn't have the full revelation that the Jews had. But either way, uh, this man was riding back from Jerusalem, okay? He'd gone there to worship the Lord, it says, and he would have been accompanied probably by an entourage, because this is a really famous dude. He's, he's, got, he's got probably a lot of people around him. Um, he's not going to be going anywhere by himself. So he's, he's riding in a chariot, which in those days was basically used either as a tank or a limo, depending on what the circumstances were. And so he probably had some folks with him that were on horseback. He wouldn't have been driving the chariot. He would have been reading. And um, so Philip's walking along. The Holy Spirit says to him, go over and join this chariot. Uh, you think he did? Spoiler alert, right? Yes, yes, of course he did. So, and so should we, brothers and sisters. We should be willing and able to go where the Spirit tells us to go, to whom the Holy Spirit says we should go to. Be ready to go where he leads, be willing to speak to whom the Holy Spirit says. And it may be valuable for us to note, okay, that Philip here, he is in a, almost certainly, a totally different socioeconomic status, Right? He would have been a different nationality, a different culture, most likely a different skin color from an, from an Ethiopian. But he understood the Holy Spirit was calling him to reach out to someone that wasn't like him. And so he did. And I, I don't want you to let that fact escape you. I think sometimes we, we think, oh, that person wouldn't listen to me. You know, I, I'm just a kid, or I'm too old. Or I'm not cool enough, or, or you know, I'm not, I'm not the right skin color. But that stuff is irrelevant when it comes to being used by God. It doesn't matter. Well, then you might say, you know, how in the world do we know when the Holy Spirit is telling us to talk to someone versus just our own minds? Right? How do we know it's the Holy Spirit? It's a valid question. How do we know? And this is tricky, you know, and, and honestly, I'm not sure that it's the same for everybody. I think we all have to come to a place where we are comfortable, sensitized to the Holy Spirit to know when it is the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I think a lot of people are probably going to say, well, you just know, right? You've probably heard that, right? Well, you just know when it's the Holy Spirit. And, and, and maybe that's true for them. Um, I will tell you that I am less trusting of my feelings than most, and that's probably because I know how untrustworthy my feelings can be, uh, and, I, and I tend to do a lot of second-guessing, but, but there's a sense in which it truly does feel different when the Holy Spirit is, is leading you to speak to a person versus just having a thought. I really believe there's, there's a, a sense where you can, you can tell that the Holy Spirit is speaking. I think there have been times where I've thought it was the Holy Spirit, and it was really my mind uh, just saying, this is a good opportunity, didn't always go, the but who knows? Maybe it was the Holy Spirit. That's Part of the issue is, is learning to know what that feels like. So if you don't mind, I want, us to, I want us to revisit another point here. We've talked about this a few times. Okay, Oftentimes, we are unsure, right, if something is God's will, and we're unsure whether it's the Holy Spirit that's leading us because we're not attuned to Him. It's not something that we're accustomed to listening to. 
You know, we talked about turning up the squelch knob, right? Um, I truly believe, guys, I truly believe this. If we want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit so we can hear him when he speaks to us and we can know that it's him, then what we need to do, church, is to listen and obey when he speaks to us in other ways that are less subjective. So here's what I mean by that. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through this book. If you are obeying what is in this book, listening to what the Holy Spirit says, and living in accordance with that, I do believe you will become more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit also speaks to us sometimes by we receive correction or we, see, we receive instruction from more mature believers, and they're usually basing it on Scripture. And I really think that as we obey the revelation that we have, then God is going to be faithful to provide more revelation. He's going to show us more. He's going to reveal more to us. We're going to understand better. Okay? So we, we, have, to, we have to make sure not to, you know, to try to squelch out the Holy Spirit. We have to be listening to Him in the ways that are concrete, in the ways that are objective. And that way, I think we're going to be able to better understand what it feels like when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us in a way that's less concrete. So I hope that wasn't confusing. Anyway, the Holy Spirit tells Philip to join the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch said, Well, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the, this, this passage of Scripture that he was reading was this cliffhanger. <laughs> We're going to pause there for a second. I mean, not really. We, we looked at this, at this earlier today in this service. But before we look at the passage that was read, let, let's see how Philip responded rightly to the Holy Spirit in this situation. He doesn't just run up and go, hi! <laughs> you know, no, what he does is he, as he approaches, he's observing, right? He's watching what's going on. And so he sees that this eunuch is actually reading a scroll of the prophet Isaiah, I mean, talk about a conversation starter, right? You know, he's, this guy's right in the middle of reading the word. And so like Philip, in order to respond rightly to the Holy Spirit, we need to be looking for the doors that he opens. Look for the doors he opens. I, I doubt Philip was expecting this eunuch when he got there to actually be reading the scriptures. But he was. Not to mention this particular scripture. Which is probably, to my mind, I think it's a more obvious connection to Christ than any other passage in the Hebrew Bible. Okay? He noticed the man was reading Isaiah. I wonder if he was reading it out loud to his servants. I think that'd be kind of cool. I don't know why. It's just, that seems like that would, that would be neat. So Philip used that opportunity that God had provided. He used that open door and he just waltzed right through it. You know, he says, do you understand what you're reading? And today, I think you would probably be considered insulting if you ask somebody, do you understand what you're reading? You know, but, but Philip wasn't afraid to ask. And I think we ought to be prepared to engage people like Philip. When it looks like, when it looks like God has orchestrated the situation, we should not be afraid to engage. And, and I, love, I love how the eunuch responds. There's, there's so much humility. There's no haughtiness. In his response, you know, so, how dare you ask? He says, how can I? 
unless someone guides me. You know, who to thunk it, right? You know, this total stranger just runs up to this, this chariot, and, and all of a sudden, this other total stranger is totally open to being led in a study of the scriptures. Well, I'll tell you who to thunk it. The Holy Spirit. Because that was his plan all along. So here's the passage that the eunuch just happened to be reading. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth. You recognize that? Does this sound familiar? This is suffering servant stuff from Isaiah. You know, we read chapter 53 this morning. It's a dozen verses, and we read it all the way through. This written seven centuries before Jesus was born, the Spirit of the Lord showed Isaiah that Jesus would be wounded for our transgressions, showed that Jesus would be bruised for our iniquities, showed that by his stripes we'd be healed, showed that we like sheep were going, are already gone astray. 700 plus years before, it said the Lord has laid upon him the transgressions of all of us. Coincidence? <laughs> I think not. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. See, Philip, he wasn't just prepared to engage. He was also prepared to turn all things toward Jesus. If you look at the way scripture is laid out, you see a giant arrow starting all the way back in Genesis 3.15, pointing ahead to the cross. And the resurrection. And then you see an arrow pointing backwards throughout the rest of the scripture and simultaneously an arrow pointing forwards to eternity. Turn all things toward Jesus. This ought to be, friends, this ought to be our default setting. And of course, it's not always going to be as obvious as, as, as coming across someone that's reading the Bible, right? It's, it's probably not usually that way. But if, if we're focused on Jesus, we find ourselves consistently making connections in our mind to whatever's going on around us. You know, we, we see God's hand at work in nature. We see God's hand at work in circumstances. Uh, I think when we do that, we're more likely to praise him, to, to thank him. And his presence permeates our thoughts. We need to be focused on Jesus so that we can turn all things toward Jesus. Because when we connect with, with this God rhythm in our lives, then we end up turning all things to Jesus in a way that feels natural, right? Instead of artificial. I mean, you ever had a conversation with somebody that just seemed determined to wedge Jesus in to the conversation, no matter what was being said? And it didn't feel natural? You know, like, like mm, this is good cake. You know, not as good as Jesus, you know, that kind of thing, or... Or, mm, uh, sure, okay, uh, can you hand me a napkin? You know, when he arose, Jesus folded the napkin that was over his face, you know? I mean, they, you have these kind of conversations, and you're like, that feels a little forced, you know, that approach. That's probably not helpful when you're trying to witness to someone. 
Okay, real quick, true story. I had a conversation. I was trying to witness to somebody. This was back in MySpace, for those of you that know what that is. That tells you how old this was. This is before Facebook really became a big deal. Um, I was on MySpace trying to witness to this person, and she told me uh, about some, uh, we had had an, an okay relationship uh, up to that point in, in conversation, you know, but uh, she said something that she had done the previous night that she was feeling bad about, and I literally said, that's why you need Jesus, you idiot. And then I filled in, you know, like, like the next big paragraph, and guess what? D friend, <laughs> that was not the way to respond. You know, sometimes when you cram it down somebody's throat, that is not the approach that helps that person. Now, there are times. You look at Acts chapter 2, there are times when a person ought to know better. And in that case, cramming might be exactly the right technique. You know, there's a lot of Marks in this church, but in, in the church I grew up in, my friend Mark, with a C, was, uh, was beneath me in youth group. He, not beneath me, he was below me. Well, that sounds awful, too. He was younger than I am in youth group, and our youth pastor's name was also Mark with a C, and, uh, and I could never figure out, I was like, why does Mark with a big Mark, why does he treat me worse than he treats the other Mark? And I really, I struggled with that. I was like, man, he lets him, like, play in the youth band. I mean, this, this kid's got all these problems. He's a foul-mouthed. He's got some substance abuse issues. Why is Mark treated? And I figured it out. But it wasn't until I, I think by that time, I'd graduated from Bible college at that point. You know why he treated me differently? Because I knew better. I grew up in a Christian household. I grew up with parents that were godly. And I still had a foul mouth and some substance issues. Mark didn't, the other Mark. He grew up in a family where his dad had, uh, I think, four or five separate families spread across the United States that didn't know about each other. The fact that he was in Christ at all is the kind of miracle that makes people sit up and take notice. And of course, I should be treated differently. <laughs> I think there are times when Peter talked to the Jews, that's why his, he was so in your face. But when Paul talks to the, uh, the Athenians, in Acts chapter 17, which we'll get probably in 2022, um, when in Acts chapter 17, you see that he approaches it very differently because they didn't know. I'm sorry, that's not in the notes, but I just wanted to share that with you. Anyway, um, it's more about keeping Christ at the center of your thoughts and then letting that focus overflow into your daily interactions. You shouldn't be having to force Jesus. It should, it should come naturally. No, let me rephrase that. It should come supernaturally, but it should feel natural to the people that you're having a conversation with. People should not feel bludgeoned with Jesus. People should feel, when I'm, when I'm talking about people, I'm saying people that don't know the Lord yet, they should be responding to the urgency, the passion, the love, the joy in you. Now, if someone claims to be a Christian and their lifestyle shows that they're probably not, that's when you get a little more in their face, okay? But it should be that you're so full of Christ. It's like every time you tap, you know, a cup that's sitting on your, your dashboard or whatever, and you see it slosh a little bit, that's what we should be like. You should, every time you bump into somebody, you should slosh a little Jesus on them. We should be overflowing. I really ought to get back to the script. Um, if God opens the door, if God opens the door to speaking to someone, it's almost impossible to not 
preach the good news about Jesus. If he opens the door, it is always appropriate to preach the good news. I know, I know we, we talk about this a lot, and we should, but, but when you're proclaiming the gospel, it's easy to remember it has two main parts, and then there's a third part that's deeply connected to it. First, the good news tells us who Jesus is. Okay, I know I've said this probably a dozen times from the pulpit, but I want you to, to remember this. Who Jesus is, as Peter's great confession of faith states, okay, Jesus is the Christ, a.k.a. the Messiah, the, the, the Savior, the anointed one set by God. And he is also God's son. Jesus himself refers to himself as God's son and God the son. Okay, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives the gospel in a nutshell. And while he doesn't exactly specify these last two, the rest of Scripture does. Okay, so I, I typically include it when sharing the gospel. I talk about Jesus being the Son of God and God the Son. But the good news is also about what God did through Jesus Christ. Remember, the Samaritans knew the first part. When he went to talk to the woman at the well and went to speak to her, her village, they all believed in Jesus as the Messiah. They had the first part of the gospel, who Jesus is, but they had not yet heard what God did because it hadn't happened yet. Right? Again, this, this is the condensed version, the Reader's Digest. Paul simply says, Christ died for our sins in 1 Corinthians 15. But to elaborate on that, okay, God put our sins on Jesus Christ while he was on the cross. Okay? And God credits, credits the righteousness of Christ. This is called imputed righteousness. He credits the righteousness of Christ to those who believe. Okay? Not because of anything that we've ever done or could do, but because of faith in his death and resurrection. So Jesus died, but he didn't just die. He rose again, proving that everything he claimed about himself was true. Everything. Not only was, but is true. And that's really important here because, because those, those two things are, are major sticking points for non-believers to think about Jesus having died and having risen from the dead. Those are major sticking points. So when we share the good news, we're telling people Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Okay, And then intricately, intricately connected, like super tightly connected with the good news, is what ought to be the right response to this wonderful message. We tell people to put their faith in Jesus Christ alone. Repent of their sins. Confess Him as Lord. Be immersed in water. And live in obedience to Him. It's quite a bit, right? I'm going to do a really quick soapbox here. Too often, I think people seem to rely on an unbiblical method of evangelism where someone is led in saying a prayer, asking Jesus into their heart, and then they are told that they are now saved Christians, ignoring three-fifths of what the scriptures teach should be the evidence of saving faith. Now, I am not saying that God couldn't use the sinner's prayer method or message of evangelism because God is sovereign over salvation. We know that, but that's not how Scripture teaches us to make disciples. And we'll come back to that in just two shakes, but let's keep reading. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Behold, here is water. 
See, it says see, but that's kind of lame. It's, it's behold, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. Notice he doesn't wait for Philip to respond. He's just like, stop, <laughs> you know. So they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he immersed him. He baptized him. Okay, so Philip responded rightly here and that he chose to complement the Spirit's work. Now this is complement with an E, not an I. Philip wasn't going, good job, Spirit, nice work. You know, it wasn't complimenting. No, he was working in a complementary way with God's Spirit. In other words, he was being the human counter-agent that supplied the physical side to what God was doing spiritually in the Ethiopian eunuch. Okay, so, so if you look in your Bibles again at this passage, you'll see that part of the presentation that Philip made included the act of being baptized. And so again, while, while it, it may be not of the part of, of what Paul calls the gospel itself in 1 Corinthians 15, it is so intertwined with the message, it needs to be mentioned and practiced whenever the gospel is presented. And the eunuch, he realized it. He had believed the good news. And so when he saw water, he said, what is keeping me from being immersed? And so that's what they did right then. They didn't sit through a class on baptism and what it means, and they didn't wait until the third Sunday in July so they could get dunked with a bunch of other people. They did it right then. How? <laughs> and as we see how Philip served to complement the work of the Holy Spirit, we should recognize our own calling. Okay, To borrow from Matthew 28, Jesus told his disciples what their calling was, right? It was to make what? To make disciples. That make disciples. <laughs> right? That make disciples. The Holy Spirit makes converts. Now, I want to just remind you of this. You don't make a convert. You are not capable of changing someone's heart. We can't even change someone else's mind. We can give them the ability to have the knowledge to change their own mind, but even they can't change their heart. God does that. Okay, God changes the heart. So the Holy Spirit makes the converts, okay, through our preaching of the gospel. That's our complementary way, right? That's how we work with him as, as a complementary way of making disciples. And Jesus specified two things. Holy Spirit makes the converts. Jesus specified two things that are our part in the process of making disciples. What's the first one? Go ye into all the world, making disciples, baptizing them. Baptism or immersion, specifically to immerse them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And by the way, if you look at this PowerPoint background, um, you can't really see it that well right now because it's dark and there's some, some light on it. But, but this, this was an old painting, okay? And I thought it was a very pretty painting, so I liked it to use it as a background. But um, in, in this painting, the eunuch is being baptized by kneeling next to the water. And it looks like Philip is about to pour water on him. And it's a beautiful painting, but it's not accurate. <laughs> I mean, look at what Luke says. They both went down into the water, which fits in line with the meaning of the Greek word immerse is translated baptized here. Okay, Tr tradition, <laughs> tradition is so hard to set aside for some folks that, that, that they will, they'll paint something more in accordance with what they've practiced than what Scripture actually says. Anyway. Just a reminder, biblical baptism is by immersion for professing believers. Anyway, uh, what's the second part of making disciples? It's, it's teaching them 
to obey Jesus' commands. God makes the converts. We make the disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey what Jesus commands. So, so sometimes, y'all know this, I, I think. If you've ever shared the gospel with somebody, you know that you, may, you might just plant a seed. Or you might just throw a seed on hard pack. I mean, it kind of depends on the person's heart. But you're there casting seeds. And you may not have the time or the opportunity to immerse them or teach them much of anything. But, but anytime, anytime someone expresses interest in the good news, always be sure to direct them towards Scripture. I, I recommend reading the, bo the book of John first. There's a reason that the book of John is the one that you often find that's, that's handed out solo, you know, by itself as an evangelism tool. Uh, and, and then instruct them, give them the book of John, tell them connect with a Bible-believing church so that they'll grow in their faith. Okay, and, and as, a, as a quick aside, I believe this is the calling for every Christian, to lead people to Christ. Not just to bring people to church, but to lead them to Jesus Christ with your example and with the gospel. In immersing people and teaching them to obey what Jesus said, that is not just the preacher's job. I hope you understand that, right? That's not just my job. You know, of the, I think there's been eight maybe, I don't know, I haven't counted, but I think it's eight baptisms we've had this year, and I've only done, what, five maybe of them? A lot of them have been done by other people, and I think that's great. It's great. I love it when, when new Christians are immersed by, by their family members. Or by friends. You know, and, and, and teaching others to obey Jesus, that's something we ought to be doing all the time. Right? I mean, as parents, we ought to be doing it daily with our kids. What does Deuteronomy say? As you walk in the way, you know, as you stand up together in the morning, as you lay down at night, be teaching the law. Our law is a little different. We teach the law of love, the law of grace. But we need to be teaching our kids it's not just something we're supposed to do on Sunday morning. Whenever we're together, uh, we got blessed last night to go to a, a testimony time over at a friend's house, and, um, and it was neat. And we got, to, we got to hear a guy share his testimony, and people were just together. And uh, we had to leave early. We had our, our kids uh, needing to get picked up. But, um, but it was great to be a part of that and to hear people talk about salvation. You know, it, it, it's something that, that we could be doing whenever we come together with other believers, not pulling each other down, lifting each other up. Whenever we get together, it, it, we should be spurring one another on toward love and good works, right? That's what Hebrews 10 says. We ought to be sharpening, shing, shing, you know, <laughs> like iron sharpens iron. That's what we ought to be doing. And by the way, um, there's also a number five and a half <laughs> for those of you that, that may not have begun following Jesus yet, okay? You won't uh, you, you can't compliment the Spirit's work in a way that's beneficial to you before you respond to it in your own life. So if you haven't already, then, then today's your day. Believe, be baptized, follow Jesus. I mean, it's really not something you can put off until you're, you're ready. I mean, it's kind of like having kids, right? <laughs> if we waited until we were ready, nobody would ever have children. It's something that, that you have to, you got to get wet to start swimming. You can't really learn it before you're in the water. I'm not referring to baptism there, but I think that might be a valid metaphor. 
You can't really learn it until you're a part of the body, until you're saying, you know what, I'm going to step into this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take on this role. I'm going to believe this. And it is a decision. But it's something that we decide because God flips a switch in us. And if you feel like, if you say, you know what, I do believe this. Guys, don't waste your time. Don't wait around. Believe, be baptized, and follow Jesus. It, it, let me ask you this question. Is it ever appropriate to disobey the Lord until you feel ready to obey? No. Thank you, three of you that answered. No. It's not appropriate to disobey until you feel ready. And I think that that's one of the things we need to do. We need to say, you know what? Uh, I'm being called to do this. I'm going to do it. So anyway, um, there's a little more here. So we're, let's keep going. And when they came up out of the water. Huh? Hmm? Okay, so the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. <laughs> and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. I know how to pronounce that. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns, and then he came to Caesarea. This is good. This is a solid ending. You know, Philip is still preaching the good news as he goes from town to town. That's cool, but can we back up just a minute? Because they exit the water, and then the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. I love that line. It's so cool to just, I mean, I mean, what happened here? Did Philip just like, poof, like disappear? Did he like, you know, <laughs> and, I mean, what happened? You know, were they, were they sitting in the, in behind the going, who was that man? You know, hi, oh, super, whatever. I mean, whatever is happening. I don't know. But I, I'll bet it freaked out the Ethiopians at first, don't you think? They're like, which way did he go, George? You know, he's gone. He's gone. Which way did he, who, who was that? What, what does it matter? God sent him there. God pulled him out, right? And now this Ethiopian and all these people with him, they know the truth about God sending his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will never perish, but will have eternal life. And so he went on his way rejoicing. And so whether you're a, an old disciple or a new one, Friend, joyfully take the good news with you wherever you go. Take it wherever you go. Have it wherever you are. You've received the incredible gift of God's salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You, you have been given the message and the ability to believe the message that God saves people from an eternity in hell and provides them with eternal life in Christ Jesus. What an incredible blessing that we've been entrusted with. So are we keeping it to ourselves? Or are we sharing it? One more thought, and this is a quick one. Notice that Philip got spirited away. He, he didn't have the opportunity to stay involved in the eunuch's life. You think he ever thought about those Ethiopians again? I'll bet he did. I'll bet he did. You know, do you think he, I'll bet he prayed about them too, but do you think he worried about them? I'm going to say I don't think he did. I'm going to guess, okay? I'm going to tell you this is my opinion. I don't think he worried. Because seeing the circumstances 
with which God brought him in and, and, and then brought him out again of the eunuch's orbit, he was probably okay with knowing that God was going to cause that seed to take root and bear fruit. And like Philip, church, listen, we must be willing to entrust others to the Holy Spirit. Especially if we no longer have, have influence in that person's life to the same degree that we used to. I mean, those of us who've raised at least one child in the Lord and watched them reach adulthood, we've experienced that, haven't we? We've experienced that. Whether we want to or not, we have to entrust those children who are now adults. We have to entrust them body, mind, and soul to the Lord. And the wisest parents learn to do this way before the child moves out. We have to commend them to God, knowing that He is good and His plan is eternal. And this goes not just for our kids. This is for anybody that we love, that we invest time in. Even if it's a stranger that we meet on the road. I used to, now this is going to sound weird, but I did. Before I had my kids with me all the time, I used to pick up hitchhikers and just witness to them because they're captive audience. They can't go anywhere, right? And so, I mean, and it it was an opportunity. No, I don't do that so much like I used to. But, I mean, there's these opportunities that we have. You don't know what's going to happen with that seed, But you can trust that God is going to be faithful with what God's going to do with it. When you're faithful to plant the seed, God is going to do what he's going to do. You know what happened to the Ethiopian? Church tradition says, now that, again, not necessarily... This isn't scriptural. Church tradition says he kind of went back and laid the foundation for the Christian church in northern Africa. He provided a gospel footing for the missionaries that were going to come later. And and not not only can we trust God to take care of those to whom we've ministered, we can trust him to use them too. Because God is faithful. So, so we end up where we began, all right? If, if we're willing to entrust others to the Holy Spirit, then you will feel free enough to go where the Holy Spirit leads you and to continue to do the kingdom work wherever you find yourself. It, it may not be a new location. It might be a new opportunity. It might be a new relationship. It might be a new endeavor. But there's never a better place to be than directly in the center of God's will, amen? It's the best place to be. I think that's all I got. So um, this morning, you know, if, if you're listening to this and you're going, yeah, yeah, I guess I, I do believe this. Come on. Let, let's get you, let's, let's confess before your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's get immersed in the water. It'll be cold, but I'll get in there with you. I have waders and you don't, but it's okay. If you've already made that great confession of faith and you've already made that decision and you, you go, you know what, I need, I need to rededicate my life. You have the chance today. If you believe that, that God is calling you to, to join this body, be a part of this church body, you, this is your time. Don't get me wrong, though. It's not about you. It's not. It's not about you. It really is about Jesus. It really is. It's not about this church. It's not about... The preacher, it's not about the people sitting around you. It's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. 
He left his home to come here for a while, have dual citizenship, and save his enemies. And he deserves our praise and our honor and our glory. So I guess if you feel led to do anything in the next few minutes, whatever God tells you, don't be afraid.